So if you were here last Sunday, you will remember that I introduced to you last week uh, this idea of seven strong. And I talked to you about the fact that over the next seven Sundays, we are going to be spending our time together thinking about seven qualities, seven strong qualities that we discover in some people in the scripture which will allow us to overcome high tension or to bear up under great pressure or heavy burdens. We're calling it seven strong overcoming high tension. And I told you that we would be studying in these seven weeks that we would be studying the three post-exilic books of Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Esther, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And that in these three books, we would learn from five different people. We're going to go to school on five different lives and learn seven qualities. So if you got all the numbers, seven qualities from five people in three books in one Bible. There you go. There's the mathematic equation for the series. Now, I said to you last week that these five people whose lives we will be learning from are made up of one orphan, one priest, and three politicians. An orphan, a priest, and three politicians. And so because it's election season, I thought it would make sense to begin with the first politician, right? So let's do that. We're going to begin today by talking about one of these three politicians whose name is Zerubbabel. Why don't you write that down in your notes somewhere? Zerubbabel. And I want you to begin learning about Zerubbabel by looking at Ezra chapter number 1 and verse number 8. Ezra 1 verse 8. If you have a pen in your hand, and I know that many of you are note takers, I want you to circle a name in verse 8. Let me read the verse. Even these, or even those, did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Mithradath, the treasurer, and numbered them unto uh, Bazar. Circle that name, if you will. Bazar. He numbered them unto Bazar, who was the prince of of Judah. Now, if you go down a couple of verses to verse 11, you'll see the name again, right in the middle of the verse. There's the name Sheshbazar. Circle it again, if you will. Sheshbazar. Now, you may be thinking, Pastor, you said we were going to learn about Zerubbabel. Why am I circling the name Sheshbazar in these two verses? Here's why. Because many people, most people, and I'm one of them, believe that Sheshbazar and Zerubbabel are the same person that Sheshbazar is his Persian name and Zerubbabel is his Hebrew name. Now here's what we learn about Sheshbazar or Zerubbabel in verse number eight. Look at it again. You just circled his name. But notice that verse number eight tells us that Sheshbazar is the prince of Judah. It's an important fact. He's the prince of Judah. So remember, In Ezra chapter 1, you find yourself in terms of a timeline um, about about the year 525, 530 B.C., 520 B.C., somewhere in there. It's about 70 years after the fall of Jerusalem to the Babylonians. Um, Sheshbazar, or, or Zerubbabel, is a prince among the people, the Jewish people, who are living in captivity in the Persian Empire. 
We know from Scripture that he was a, a grandson or the grandson of King Jehoiakim. And if you were to read through the scriptures, you would learn that King Jehoiakim was the second to the last king of Judah uh, just before uh, Jerusalem fell and the city was destroyed and uh, Judah was conquered by the Babylonians. Now that means that if he is the grandson of Jehoiakim, he is in fact a prince of Judah, even though they're in captivity, he's a prince among the captives living in Judah. This means that he was a man of great influence he was a leader among his people. And it also means that he was a direct descendant of King David. So King David was his great, 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 great grandfather about 15 generations back. David was his grandfather. He's a direct descendant of King David. And if you know your Bible, you know that that means he's also in the lineage of someone really important in the Bible. And his name is Jesus. So when we study about Zerubbabel or Sheshbazzar, we're studying about one of the earthly ancestors of the Lord Jesus, someone who was in a direct uh, ancestry to Christ himself. In fact, I'm not just uh, speculating that that's true. The Bible tells us that it's true. Matthew chapter 1, verse 12, you can make a note and go read it later. That verse is included in that lineage of the earthly or that list of the earthly lineage of Jesus, and the name Zerubbabel is found there. Now, if you'll look in Ezra chapter 5, I want you to notice something in verse number 14 as well. Ezra 5 and verse 14. At the end of the verse, you'll see the name Sheshbazzar, and it says following his name, whose name was Sheshbazzar, whom he, that's Cyrus, whom Cyrus had made governor. So he's a descendant of Jehoiakim. He's a prince already by birth. He has a royal bloodline. He's a leader among his people who were in captivity. Now Cyrus is going to uh, appoint him as the governor of Judea. He's going to officially give him authority in that Persian empire. Now remember, his Persian name is Sheshbazzar. His Hebrew name is Zerubbabel. And the name Zerubbabel means the seed of Babylon or to be born in Babylon. Zerubbabel. You can hear the name Babel or Babylon in his name. He is the seed or the son of or was born in Babel or Babylon. And here's what that means. It means that, that Zerubbabel had never in his lifetime ever been to Jerusalem. He wasn't there. Uh, he hadn't been born when the city was destroyed. He was born in Babylon, lived his entire life in Babylon. So, Sheshbazzar, Zerubbabel, I want you to meet him. He is the servant of God, the descendant of King David, the prince among his people, the governor of Judea. And in our passage today, he is given a great task. And he demonstrates throughout his life the endurance to live up to the task. Now let's read about it. Ezra chapter number 1, beginning in verse number 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, who was the king of Persia, so that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and he put it in writing, saying, 
Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven has given to me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. Now, by the way, I, I just need to stop and, and point out to you, this is an incredible, miraculous passage because Cyrus is not a good guy. He is not a Christian. Well, there were no Christians at the time, but he's not a Jewish person. He's not a worshiper of Jehovah God. He is a pagan, evil king. And yet, the Bible says God stirred his heart so that he released the captives, the Jewish people, to go up and to rebuild the temple of God. No way that would have ever happened outside of the influence of the Spirit of God. This is the reason you should follow Paul's command in, in Timothy to pray for those that are in authority because we tend to think that governors and presidents and legislatures have uh, great authority and we have no influence over them. Our greatest influence comes on our knees when we pray for them because God can move their hearts when voters cannot move their hearts. God moved the heart of Cyrus and he sends them those who will go up to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Well, verse four, he says, whosoever remains in any place where he sojourns, let the people of that place help him by giving him silver and gold and goods and animals besides the free will offering of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. It's amazing. He says, we're gonna, we're gonna go build the house of God and not only are we gonna build it, we're gonna pay for it. And so we're gonna give you an offering as you go. Verse five, then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all them whose spirit God had raised to go up and to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Now, several times I've mentioned that Zerubbabel was given a great task. And four times in the passage that we just read in these five verses, that great task is identified. It's defined. You see it in verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. It repeats it four times. Go to Jerusalem and build the house of God. That's the task. That's the opportunity that Zerubbabel is given. And let me assure you that for Zerubbabel to go to Jerusalem where he had never been before and to rebuild the mighty temple of God was the greatest opportunity in his life. It was the highest privilege that any Jewish person could have ever been given. And it was the greatest work that he would ever put his hands to. Nothing that Zerubbabel would do in all of the rest of his life would be as consequential as this work of building the temple. And yet while it was his greatest opportunity and it was his highest privilege, it was also his heaviest burden and the greatest weight on his shoulders. And by the way, this is the way it is, right? This is the way it is in life. The things that produce the heaviest burdens in our lives are the things that give us the greatest joys and privileges in life. Our greatest responsibilities cause us the greatest amount of burden. And just like God gave to Zerubbabel a great project, 
to rebuild this temple. He gives us great projects too. Now, I don't think anybody in this room is ever going to be called by God to go and rebuild the temple of God. There, there will be a third temple. There will be a temple built in Jerusalem again. I believe that to be true, but I don't think you and I are going to build it. So I don't think we're going to be given that task, but we are given some really important tasks, aren't we, in this life? If you're a mom or a dad in the room, let me remind you, you have been given an incredibly important task in raising children who will know and hopefully serve God all the days of their lives. And that task does not end when they graduate high school or college or get married or move out. That task never ends. And in fact, it only increases when they have children and you become a grandparent. The task of influencing the next generation is one of the greatest projects that we have to put our hands to in this life. That we spend our days building godly character into lives younger than ours. If you are married, if you have a husband or a wife, then you have this incredible opportunity that has been given to you. This incredible privilege that God has afforded you. That you get to build a long and lasting and strong marriage to the glory of Almighty God. Tracy and I had the privilege of being a part of a really beautiful wedding ceremony yesterday afternoon down in Georgia. And the, and the grandfather of the groom in his 80s performed, officiated the ceremony for his grandson and, and the bride. And it was beautiful, just a beautiful thing to watch this family dynamic and the deep love as, as the wedding was happening. But our favorite part, Tracy and I talked about this when we left, our favorite part was the very last thing that granddad did when he had gone through all the vows and the exchanging of rings just before he closed that ceremony in prayer, he leaned in, he put one foot forward, leaned a little bit, put that 80-some-year-old finger like that toward his grandson and said, now you build a home on the word of God. I was like, yes, <laughs> amen. That was wonderful. I mean, it was, a, it was a godly charge from a godly man to a godly young man to spend the days of his life in this incredible privilege of building a marriage and a home that would bring glory to God. Don't ever minimize, think that's not a big deal. It is one of the greatest privileges that you'll have in your lifetime. Work hard for that. We have great opportunities at work. God is good, oftentimes giving us great opportunities in our careers. We have a great opportunity to become the church that Jesus came to be. What an opportunity that God has given to Brookstone Church. To be the church that would cause hell to diminish and the kingdom of God to enlarge in western North Carolina, around the nation, and around the world. That's our great privilege together. And it's a burden, but it's a great privilege. If you're a church planter in Los Angeles, California, what a great privilege God has given to Chan and to Sue and to their family. Here's my point. There could be a thousand other things we could talk about, but God gives us great opportunities. They're all High honors, they're all great privileges. But like rebuilding the temple, these privileges, these honors, these responsibilities, these tasks, they're neither easy nor short. It is oftentimes a life spent under the burden of those privileges and those tasks. And we need endurance to keep going. We need perseverance and faithfulness, and persistence. 
to keep going. And Zerubbabel is our model of that endurance. Now, I should tell you that while rebuilding the temple was the greatest privilege that Zerubbabel would ever have in his life, it was also the most difficult thing that he would ever do, and he faced a lot of obstacles. Why don't you write these down? The first one he faced was the fact of just the sheer difficulty of the job, the sheer difficulty of it. Um, let me, while you're writing that down, I'm going to turn back one page and read to you a verse we read last Sunday, 2 Chronicles chapter 36 and verse number 19 describes the, the uh, destruction of Jerusalem. Verse number 19 says, and they burned the house of God and they broke down the wall of Jerusalem and they burnt all the palaces of the houses thereof with fire. When Nebuchadnezzar came through and destroyed, destroyed Jerusalem, he destroyed everything. And so when, when Zerubbabel comes to begin to rebuild the house of God, 70 years have passed. Do you know what Zerubbabel found when he got to Jerusalem? He found 70 years worth of debris, 70 years worth of rubble, a few outliers, a few people living around the city, maybe, maybe some people inhabiting parts of the city, but the large stones of the temple compound, the large stones of the city walls, it was just a pile of rubble. You ever walk up to a project like raising your children or like building your marriage or some other great project and you walk up and you go, where do you even start? I mean, how do you even begin, let alone finish this? That's what Zerubbabel must have thought when he walked up to Jerusalem and he looks around, he sees nothing but a pile of rocks. In fact, look at Ezra chapter number three, where you'll find in verse number eight that it took him two years just to clear the debris. Ezra chapter three, verse number eight, down at the end of the verse, it says that after two years, they finally set forward the work of the house of God. It took them two years just to clear the debris. They didn't roll in there with, with uh, caterpillars and, and, uh, and track hose and heavy equipment. By hand, two years, moving huge stones and finding the foundation. So they, they faced difficulty. It was just a hard job. Can I get a witness in the room from anybody? Are, are there any things that you've been called to do that just aren't easy? Amen. It's hard. There's no, no way to restate it. There's no way to soften it. It's just, it's just hard. They face difficulty. The second thing that they faced was discouragement. And they got discouraged along the way. This is the way it is with hard jobs. You, you, get, you get discouraged along the way. Look at chapter 3 of Ezra and verse number 12, where some of the people were really discouraged. Finally, in chapter number 3, they, they get two years worth of debris removed. They begin to lay the foundation for the house and they have a big celebration when they lay the foundation. But look at verse 12. Many of the priests and the Levites and the chief of the fathers who were ancient men, old men, those who had seen the first house, the first temple, when the foundation of this temple was laid before their eyes, they wept aloud. <laughs> this passage always makes me smile. Because I can just see, you know, Zerubbabel and all his young buddies They've never been to Jerusalem. They're just glad to be there. They're, they're building this temple. They've never seen a temple before. They start to lay the foundation. All they get done is the foundation. Then they step back, put on the robes, get the trumpets, start having a worship service just because the foundation is laid. I understand that. We did those kind of things when we were building this too. They start having this, this, this celebration. And, and while they're praising God, they look over at some of the old guys. 
The guys who had seen the first temple, Solomon's temple, and, and those guys are like, this is terrible. <laughs> they had to be so, Zerubbabel had to be like, what? We've worked two years and that's all you can say is this is terrible? Yeah, because it didn't match up to Solomon's temple. I feel this sometimes at my house when I do projects. <laughs> And I'll admit, I'm not a good project guy. I'm really not. I, I, I can't build things. I mean, I can, but they're not level or plumb or straight or anything, square. But I'll try. I'll put something together, work on it, and, and, and I'll be so proud of it. I'll go, Tracy, come here and look at this. And she'll come and she'll go, thanks for trying. <laughs> and then her next question, who can we get to fix that? She wants to call Dustin to fix it. And, and so I get it. And I'm, I'm always feel like, I, well, it's kind of a little discouraging, you know. I'm kidding. Tracy didn't really do that to me, but no, well, she really does. But I, anyway, we don't go there. <laughs> Here's my point: they faced difficulty, they faced discouragement. Third obstacle that they faced was opposition. You see it in chapter four, verses four and five, where the enemies uh, come against them and begin to oppose the work. Look at verse number four. Then the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah. They troubled them in the building. They hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia. So, so they're trying to build. They've got a difficult job as it is. Now they've got discouragement along the way, and now they've got people trying to hinder them. And verse 4 and 5 says they were weakened, they were troubled, and they were frustrated. Does that sound like any of us sometimes in the things that we're trying to pull off? We, get, we, we feel weak. We, we feel frustrated. We, we feel like we're being hindered in it. And it can be very, very uh, disheartening. And then the fourth obstacle that they faced was their own distraction. Their own distractions. That is that, that, that their hearts be, would turn away and they would get distracted with something else. And they, they had a moment where they got a cease and desist order from the new king. Cyrus dies, Darius comes to the throne and, and Darius gets a letter from the people around Jerusalem and they're saying, hey, they're building this temple and these walls and they're gonna rebel against you. And, and the king sends a cease and desist order, stop building. Well, they had to stop building. So when they stopped building, guess what they started building? Their own houses, and when they started building their own houses, they decided, oh, I like this. And, and they start spending all their time and all their energy and all their money on building their own houses because their hearts turned away. It's distracted from the great work that God gave them. Oh, I could tell you stories of the own distractions that can happen in my life and of people that I've known and loved over the years in ministry who had been given great tasks for the Lord and their heart got turned away. They got distracted. God raised up Haggai. Haggai came and preached to them and said, get back on focus. So they faced all of these obstacles, but through all of it, Zerubbabel pressed on. He endured through the difficulties, he persevered, and they completed the task. Look at Ezra chapter 6 and verse 15. It's a wonderful verse. You'll see the completion of the house of God. Ezra 6 and 15 says, And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the children of the captivity kept the dedication of the house of God with joy. He pressed on. And finally, it was finished. Now, here's the point. We all have great tasks. We, we all have these things. They're, they're wonderful privileges, but they're just heavy burdens as well. And sometimes we, we have to press on in the face of heavy 
uh, burdens and weights that aren't necessarily privileges, right? They're just the hardships of life. And what we need, what we must have is the endurance of Zerubbabel. We must have the perseverance and the persistence so that we can keep on keeping on. And by the way, this is not just an Old Testament principle. It's a New Testament command. Can I show it to you? Look at it on the screen. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I love that verse. He says to Timothy, Timothy, it's not always going to be easy. And sometimes your greatest burdens are going to be, or your greatest privileges are going to be your greatest burdens. Sometimes life is going to be hard, but you're a soldier of Jesus. So endure that difficult season. Can I be the voice of Paul to you today? Can I say to you, if your journey is tough right now, stand firm and endure, persist, persevere for the glory of God. It is commanded to us that we would do so. But the question then becomes, well, how do we do it? How do we, how do we have endurance and perseverance and faithfulness when the load is heavy and the road is long? Well, if you'll go with me to the book of Zechariah where I asked you to turn, we'll finish there and answer the question of where this kind of endurance comes from. You may be thinking, well, pastor, that's all well and good for, for Zerubbabel but how can I have that kind of endurance? Let's read Zechariah chapter four. We'll get some insights here, beginning in verse one. By the way, before we read this passage, if y'all are still with me, would you shout amen? Amen. amen. Verse one. Zechariah says, and the angel that talked with me came again and awakened me as a man that is awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? And I said, I have looked, and behold, I see a candlestick, all of gold. It has a bowl on top of it. It has seven lamps thereon, upon which, um, which are upon the tops thereof. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right hand, other on the left side of the candlestick. Zechariah says, so I answered and spake unto the angel that, talked with me saying, what does this mean? What are these, my Lord? And the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, do you not know what these things mean? And I said, no, my Lord. And he answered and spake unto me saying, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. Would you underline that in your Bible? This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel you shall become a level plain. And he, Zerubbabel, shall bring forth the headstone thereof, that is the capstone of the temple, with shoutings crying grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, and his hands shall also finish it. And you shall know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. The question is, how can I have, how can you have the endurance of Zerubbabel? Well, Zechariah teaches us, I want you to write it down and then we'll see it in this passage, that endurance is the fruit of hope. Just jot that down, I want to talk to you about it. Endurance is the fruit of hope. Now, I should tell you that Zechariah is a prophet during the time 
of Zerubbabel's rebuilding of the temple. So in those years, and it took Zerubbabel over 20 years to get the project done. And during those 20 years, Zechariah is one of the prophets God sends to encourage him along the way. In this passage, Zerubbabel or Zechariah rather receives a vision which will prove very encouraging to Zerubbabel. Look at it. The vision begins in verse number two. What do you see? Well, I see a candlestick all of gold. Now, the candlestick that he sees is a golden menorah. You know what a menorah is, right? Here's, here's a picture of it. This is an actual golden menorah on display in the city of Jerusalem, fashioned and prepared for the future third temple. But that's exactly what Zechariah saw, a golden menorah, which is a seven-branched candlestick. Every menorah like this one has at the top of each of those seven branches a lamp. And in that lamp there is oil and a wick and the oil feeds the fuel to the wick and the wick burns. That is how the light comes from the candlestick or from the menorah. That's what he sees. But the menorah that Zechariah sees is different than any menorah he had ever seen before. This menorah has a bowl over top of it. And from the bowl, there are seven pipes running, one pipe to each of the seven branches. He'd never seen that before. And interestingly, there was an olive tree on either side of the candlestick. And he says in verse 4, what does this mean? Verse 4, I said to the angel that spake to me, what does this vision mean? I love verses 4 and 5. It strikes me as humorous. He says to the angel, what does this mean? And the angel, verse 5, says, you don't know what it means? It's like, no, I don't know what it means. Tell me what it means. In verse number 6 and 7 and forwarding or forward, the angel says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. And what an incredibly encouraging word. What a, what a hopeful vision. Listen to the words, the promises, the hope-filled message that this vision brought to Zerubbabel. He made some promises here. Verse number seven, he made the promise of a breakthrough. He, he says in verse number seven, who art thou, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. That is, the mountain will collapse. You will be like a level plain. Now, have you ever been involved in a project, had a great task, something to do? Maybe it's raising kids, building your marriage, or maybe it's something at work, or maybe it's just going through the burdens of life, whatever. It could be a thousand different things. But have you ever felt like you're standing in front of a mountain and you just can't get around it? It's just blocking your progress. You just can't solve the issue. You're never going to get it figured out. There's this mountain in front of you. Here's the promise that God gave to Zerubbabel because that's the way he felt. He said, that mountain in front of you is going to collapse. It's going to move. I'm going to give you a breakthrough. What an encouraging word that was. The second thing that he said to Zerubbabel is that he made him the promise of coming joy. Verse number seven, he says, and he, Zerubbabel, shall bring forth the headstone, the capstone of the temple. He shall bring it forth with shouts of praise crying grace God has given us grace just like me some of you are facing situations where you just keep dealing with it and you just keep dealing with it and you just keep dealing with it and the mountains in front of you and you can't fix it and you wonder will it ever be fixed will the mountain ever go away will we ever get this resolved and the promise of God is there will be a breakthrough and one day you will say praise God he gave me grace in that situation praise God he brought me through it, and we can give him glory. Number three, he made the promise 
of completion. I love verse number nine. This is the word of the Lord. The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house and his hands also shall finish it. He promised him that the work that he started would be completed. Zerubbabel, you're gonna make it. I know the burden is heavy. I know the burden is, 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 uh, is heavy, but you are gonna make it. I don't know what was going on in Zerubbabel's experience at the moment that the vision came, but I know he must have been weak. He must have been weary. He must have felt like he was never gonna get this temple rebuilt, that the, that the mountains in front of him were not gonna move, and that he was never gonna put the capstone on, and his hands were never gonna say, okay, that's over. And so God sends a vision to say, here's my promise to you. You're gonna finish. I'm gonna give you a breakthrough. You're gonna praise me. Now, these promises gave Zerubbabel the, the endurance that he needed. It was that hope that allowed him to keep going. Do you know that, that hope gives birth to endurance? Hope produces endurance. You know, when someone is critically ill or um, dealing with a, a, a terminal disease, you and I both have seen people that we love or people that we know of and they're, they're fighting for their life. Everything in their body, even physiologically, their body fights and fights and fights to live until their mind and their heart gives up hope. And when they lose hope, they soon die. And sometimes people take their own lives because they've lost all hope. Hope gives us the ability to keep going. Hope gives us endurance. And Zerubbabel needed endurance, and so God gave him hope. And the hope came through the promises. And the same is true for us, that the promises of the Word of God are the things that give us the endurance to be able to continue on. Let me give you one promise from God's Word that we can claim. Galatians 6 and verse 9 says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we do not faint. God says, here's my promise to you. If you'll be faithful, if you'll endure, you will, you will reap a reward. And so, loved ones, our, our way may be hard and our burden may be heavy and the task may seem overwhelming, but God has promised a finish line. He's promised joy and he's promised that he will get us through. And that promise brings hope and that hope produces endurance. If you understand, say Amen. Now, there's one last thing I want to show you in Zechariah, and then we're going to be done. We're going to go home. And that is simply that in this passage, we learn that not only is endurance the fruit of hope, but endurance is fueled by the Spirit. And I cannot overstate this enough. I will state it briefly, but the brevity of my comments with regard to this have nothing to do with the significance of it. Hear me well. That the entire point of the message or of the vision that Zechariah received is that it is the Spirit of God, not the personal fortitude, that gives us the ability to keep going. It's the Spirit of God, not our own strength or power. Because when he gets this vision, it's not a vision of a mighty army. In fact, he says it's not by might, verse 6. It is not by power or by strength. There's a subtle lie that so many of us believe. 
And the lie is that when the burden is heavy, I've just got to draw deep from within, from my own fortitude, I can make it through because I can be strong enough. And you know what? If you depend on your own strength, you will always ultimately fall because your strength will fail you. Not saying you're not strong. We are. Many of us have much strength in the Lord, but our strength will fail us. The whole point of the vision is not to say, you've got a mighty army or you've got personal strength. It is to say, you've got oil endlessly supplied. Every priest who would minister in the temple knew that that menorah, that the, that the bowls or the uh, um, uh, lamps at the end of the candlestick branches, that they had to constantly be filled with oil because the oil would run out. But in this vision, there's a bowl at the top of the menorah with a pipe to each lamp, and there's two olive trees continuously feeding oil. And did you know that in the Bible, oil is a type of the Holy Spirit? And what he's showing to Zechariah is, Zechariah, I am giving you the strength. I'm giving you the constant supply of the Holy Spirit so that the light of the lamp will never, ever run out. And so it's true for us too, right? That, that we can endure, just like Zerubbabel did. We can endure because in the heaviness of our, of our situations, when our, when our burden is heavy and our task is overwhelming, and we're trying to raise our kids and we don't think we're ever going to get them raised, or maybe we've raised them and now there's some situation in their life where they're in some, some addiction or, or some brokenness or some, some adult kind of sin that... Man, we'd give a thousand lifetimes if it could just be coloring on the wall again. And now it's this life-altering kind of thing going on in them. And we see these struggles and we go, God, this burden is so heavy. I don't know if I can continue to bear it. And he says, you've got the Holy Spirit in you. You can bear up. Or you're building a marriage. And your marriage is struggling and it's... And it's difficult and it doesn't even feel like you love each other much right now. And maybe you feel like you don't even like each other. And, and, the, and the burden of just making it work is too hard. You say, I can't do it. I, I'm throwing in the towel. And the Holy Spirit would say, I'm filling your life with the constant flow of the Holy Spirit. You can endure by the power of the Holy Spirit. You've got some other task. But the Spirit of God dwells within you. Hope produces endurance, and the Spirit fuels endurance. Let me close by reading to you from Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Here's a command. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Endure in the strength of the Lord and in the power of his might. Verse 18, always Pray in the Spirit because it is the Spirit of God which sustains you under the burdens of life. Loved ones, hear me. Zerubbabel had to build a temple. You and I are building lives. We're building young lives. We're building our own lives. We're building businesses. We're building churches. We're building, we're building to the glory of God. And this the spirit and the hope that he needed is the same spirit and the same hope that we need. Praise God, we can endure.